Welcome back to the show. My name is Steve Pretty. This is my podcast, Steve Pretty on the origin of the pieces. And it's a show that helps you to hear and understand music in new ways. Yes, welcome to episode two. Thank you so much for streaming, tuning in, downloading, whatever it is, however you've got here. Thank you very much for listening again and lending me your ears for the next half hour, 40 minutes or so. Um, thanks also for the amazing feedback we had for episode one. It was really, really encouraging to see how many people really enjoyed it, uh, shared it with people, got a lot out of it. I got a really, really interesting insight into some ideas that people shared with me about uh, the evolution of music and all that sort of stuff. So it's a really encouraging way to start things off with people sharing their thoughts and so I'm going to be encouraging you to do that lots more over the coming episodes Um, yeah but meanwhile thanks again Uh, please do continue to share spread the word all that good stuff means a lot coming up this episode in the entertaining noises section we have a brilliant guest in the form of Valeria Clark who is a wonderful harpist and a good friend of mine and colleague we have a new project called Soundbox Ensemble and she was in the studio this week uh, while we rehearsed stuff and wrote some new music for it so we got together and we had a lovely chat uh, we made some entertaining noises with a harp, with some percussion, with some electronics. And then in the music theory section this week, I'm going to be looking at some of the most feared music of all, and that is jazz. I'm going to be taking a little overview of how jazz works and how to listen to it. Even if you think you don't like it, I'm going to try and lead you through that in a kind of jazz 101. And at the end, to round things off in the genre tombola, we're going to be looking at pop rock. You may remember that's what I got dealt last week from the genre tombola, to mix a metaphor. And uh, we're going to be looking at that and pulling out next episode's genre whatever it may be will it be sri lankan hip-hop will it be indonesian gabba will it be funk from northern ireland who knows wikipedia will guide us (laughs) and the virtual tombola so stay tuned all of that and lots lots more it's going to be a fun show here we go But before we get onto any of that, I wanted to have a quick chat about what I've been up to in the last couple of weeks, and that is travelling. Um, between the release of the last episode and this one, I was away for a week, which has made the production of this second one a challenge. I tell you what, setting yourself a goal of releasing an episode every fortnight, and then for the very, very first iteration of that, being away for a whole week without being in the studio without any of the usual stuff I have. It's a challenge, but that's what we're here for, right? We're we're here to be lightly challenged in a hopefully enjoyable way. Anyway, so I've been travelling. It was technically a work trip, but if you check out my social media, you will see that it was a very jammy work trip. And actually, weirdly, I wasn't doing music on this one. Um, Music is what I spend my life doing, but this, I occasionally do a bit of photography, and this was a photography gig. Um, albeit, as I say, a very jammy one. So I wanted to just very briefly touch on what it's like as a musician when you're travelling, whether it's for holiday or a trip with the family or whatever it might be. It can be a real uh, challenge, actually, because right, the thing is that 
that people assume that once you're uh, at a level, once you're a professional musician or a very experienced musician, you don't need to kind of practice in a conventional way, or you might need, you know, need to practice new repertoire for a concert, but you don't necessarily need to, to kind of put in the hours of practice that you do while you're learning. But of course, as musicians, we know that this is not the case. It is... Every musician's nightmare is kind of going away, having a lovely time and then getting back and having a very high profile concert or gig or even not high profile, but just something that's very, very demanding um, straight away because you've been away and it's very hard to practice if you're away traveling on holiday with the family or with friends or whatever. It's it can be quite tricky if you're away with non-musicians who don't necessarily understand that you have to kind of keep up your skills while you're away. And the the problem is, right, it's not so much that you're having to practice pieces, at least speaking for myself. What I need to do as a trumpet player, predominantly, is to try and keep the physical side of things uh, in shape. And I think it's easy to, to underestimate that side of things because the trumpet and brass instruments in general are pretty physically demanding and, of course, particularly demanding on the lips and on the face and what we call the embouchure, the, the muscles around the mouth. And now look, I am not a weightlifter. I'm not a gym person. Uh, Those of you who are listening who uh, know me or have seen me play will know that. It is physically very obvious that I'm neither of those things. But my understanding is if you are a big fitness person, if you're into weightlifting, particularly something like that, you really, really notice if you take a few days off, right? If you if you do loads of lifting um, and then you have, let's say, a week or two off while you're away on holiday, you come back and you can really feel it in your muscles straight away, right? And believe it or not, that is really the same for most instruments. But I, I would say, as a trumpet player, especially the trumpet, we have a thing as, as musicians, but again, especially as brass players, where we call it holiday chops, and chops in this context means it kind of is a bit of a catch-all really for, for everything about playing the instrument, whether it's repertoire or scales or any of that stuff. But as a brass player, it particularly means your physical chops, which is your embouchure, your, the muscles around your mouth, because these, these muscles are really small. And even a day off or certainly a couple of days off, you can really feel if you're an experienced brass musician you can really really feel it if you're not playing every day or every couple of days and so it that presents a bit of a problem when you're away and it basically means that there are a series of devices that that we brass players use when we're on holiday that we get very strange looks when we're sitting around the pool with these weird things in our mouth um there's a thing like a, a bit like a kind of little vape it looks like a vape but it's just a little metal rod that you use to basically weight lift with your lips which looks very odd uh, there's a, a another compression thing which you kind of blow into to try and get the muscle tone around the corners of your mouth and your uh, your uh, diaphragm going and if possible I always try and travel with a little tiny trumpet I have a little tiny trumpet it's called a pocket trumpet you'd have to have pretty big pockets to actually fit it in one but it is very small it's the same length as a trumpet but it's all wrapped up so it's the same length tube but it's all coiled up into a a very tight-knit little bundle of tubes and plumbing Um, and so wherever possible I try and take that with me because it's the it's the most surefire way of being able to try and come back and hit the ground running and be able to play the minute you get back which is not a given because if you've had a week or two off you really you really can't 
make a decent sound out of a trumpet, no matter how experienced you are sometimes, if you don't do that. So, yeah, I travel with this little pocket trumpet. Uh, it's good fun. But, of course, that presents the problem of where the hell do you practice the trumpet? The trumpet is a very loud instrument, <laughs> notoriously so. So if you're in a hotel, then obviously that is tricky. If you're uh, if you're in a chalet or whatever with friends, also tricky. There is a practice mute, which is an ingenious little invention, which is a mute is the thing you stick in the end of a trumpet that keeps it quiet. And that is what we use to try and practice the trumpet. So I will demonstrate that for you now. This is my warm-up that uh, those musicians who are listening who've played with me before will have heard me do interminably and I think for other musicians I've played with this might be the thing that I'm most associated with out of any music that I've ever played to the point that I have a trumpet playing friend who I have got to promise me that he will play this at my funeral and this is that same bit of the warm-up uh, with the practice mute in and I did this uh, in the hotel room while I was away so you can hear the, the ceiling fans and stuff it's much quieter. Uh, obviously, you, you still wouldn't really do that at night. I still don't like to disturb people if I can avoid it. So I try and find a discreet time to do that, a discreet place if I can. Sometimes if I'm uh, you know, by the sea, you can take the practice mute down and, and play into the white noise of the sea. And that's quite nice um, and means you're not disturbing people too much. Yeah, but of course, the other thing is that if you've got an instrument with you, people assume that you're there because you want to play, you know, you want to kind of show off your skills, you want to be the music guy who can entertain everyone. Let me tell you, certainly speaking for myself and most musicians I know, if you are on holiday as a musician, you do not want to play your instrument. I guess if you are a guitar player, maybe, you know, that's you can get the guitar out and, and you can sing along to it, fine, whatever. That's, that is quite entertaining for other people. But no one wants to hear a solo trumpet. People think they want to hear a solo trumpet. That's the thing. People think that they want, oh, play a tune. But no one wants to hear you round the pool in, uh, you know, a nice holiday place or by the sea or wherever you are in the beautiful wilderness no one wants to hear the trumpet being played uh, particularly not in the way that you need to practice as a musician because you need to practice this stuff you can hear now as a trumpet player long notes these things called lip flexibilities where you're having to kind of move around the instrument it sounds like you're a beginner but it's because what you're doing is physical practice of the instrument you're not often playing musical things you're trying to play the stuff you're doing in a musical way but you're not practicing beautiful music you're trying to keep your chops in you're trying to keep the physical embouchure and everything about you know the physical way you play an instrument in not practicing this stuff so this is uh, a public service announcement on behalf of musicians everywhere unless a musician explicitly says that they would like to play for you uh, don't bug them to play just because they've got an instrument with them they probably just need to do some practice so that when they get back, their first gig isn't utterly humiliating because we've all been there, believe me. So, yeah, public service announcement. Be kind to musicians when on holiday and they will be kind to you. Equally, of course, if there is someone who's brought a guitar and insists on strumming it around the pool, you should be kind for everyone else and please tell them to stop. Public service announcement over. On with the show. Okay, we 
are at the entertaining noises section of the show. And you may remember from last episode that for this bit, what I'm going to try and do is try and record these with binaural sound. So that means that I put little mics in the ears of whoever I'm talking to. And that means that this section is best enjoyed with headphones in yourself so that you get the perspective of whoever I'm talking to. If it's a musician, you might hear them playing as you will today, or uh, you'll hear some, me playing at someone else or whatever it might be. So please pop headphones in if you can. And if not, don't worry, you can hear it and enjoy it as normal, but the best experience will be with headphones. So today I am talking to my great friend and collaborator, Valeria Clark. She is a fantastic harpist. I'll let her explain a bit more. Right, so you got the little headphones in? All good? Yeah. Yeah. All here. Okay, we're going to be, the listener's going to be inside your head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good or a bad thing. What's your instrument? That's probably the first question. It's a harp. It's a harp. Can yeah. you give us a little, can you demonstrate? Sure. Shall I go for the magical fairy tale or hardcore? Uh, tran transport us to a magical land. Magical <laughs> land it is. Uh, we're going to put some enharmonics and here we go. Magical enough? So magical. So <laughs> what magical. we can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's just something, it's quite magical. I know, I, I feel like that every time I play harp. I'm very, very lucky. When did you start? Uh, I was eight and uh, I started on the big harp, which is quite a, you know, a big instrument to start on. Because to, to be clear, it's this instrument, so you're in my uh, studio shed at the bottom of my garden. Um, yes. Which we introduced people to last week and as Joe described last week, there's not a lot of space in here. No, it takes about 40% of your room. <laughs> it really does, it really does. I'm going to take a photo and put it up on social media when we uh, uh, drop the show. But it's, it's yeah, I mean, this, the clearance with the ceiling is about three inches, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, not much. Not very much. And, uh, yeah, and, and it takes up a massive amount of room in the middle. But it's, it's lovely. And we've been doing lots of recording in here. And it's not as heavy as people think. It's hollow inside. So it's 36 kilograms. Is it? Yes. Um, so I mean, that is still quite heavy. It's say. still quite heavy. Um, but it is the biggest one you can get. It's called orchestral pedal harp. It's got 47 strings and 7 pedals. And 47 strings is luckily the uh, maximum amount of strings you can have. Uh, that's it, more than enough. Do you have a favourite string out of the 47? Uh, no, <laughs> I've never been asked that question. Uh, well, I quite like the basses strings because they've got so much more oomph. Yeah, and so lower you go because a lot of people think that harp is all like angelic mm. and light. And of course you can have... A lot of that too, but when you go to the bassiness. Well, one of the things nice. we've been doing, um, which I'll see if I can find a, a clip of, because we're not set up today with the effects and things, but we've been running the, through a load of effects and um, loops and distortions and all sorts of things, but we've been getting some really kind of dark, ah. brooding sounds out of it. I can give you one without any yeah, please, effects. Yeah, you so, yeah that, the, the pedal, pedal um, kind of it's called gliss or slide when you. Uh, press uh, each pedal has three positions uh, flat, natural, and sharp. And when you uh, kind of half press it, it creates the buzz. Something 
like that. Yeah, it's amazing. So when you say pedals, just because I think a lot of people won't be clear, I think until I started working with you and you know writing for harp a bit and stuff, I, I hadn't quite clocked how complicated the pedal system is. So you've obviously got all the 47 strings, but mm -hmm. what else? What else have we got? So the seven pedals for each of the notes of the scale, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, and then each of the pedals, so they control uh, simultaneously the same uh, note of the scale, so it would be all the different octaves, for example, this is, let's do C. So this is a C natural, and then if the pedal goes to the top position, it's flat, then in the middle... Flat, sorry, just to be clear, for those people who don't have uh, musical training, flat means... Uh, a little bit down, right? A little bit lower. A little bit lower. So that would go, uh, this is the lowest one for, for the pedals. Then we go higher. That's half a tone higher. And then the down position of the pedal. That's a sharp, so that's the highest. So, yeah. And to be clear, because obviously people can't see this, but you're, those are the same strings that you're playing. You're playing the same, the same strings, string, you're not yeah. moving your fingers. when you. Could you just do that? On the same strings in a in a succession, could you do like low to high or high to low? Uh, low to high. What do you mean? So, so in other words, play the strings yeah. and then just move. Oh, it like or yeah. it, that would be. Yeah. So I'm not touching the strings as I'm doing that. That's just the foot moving the pedal. Can we let's let's, let's prove that audibly by by you clapping at the same time? Okay. Uh, that's a challenge or, or of coordination. It, or, or bang it, bang it. <laughs> that was out of time, but yeah. Fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, so this is a harp with 47 strings, orchestral. Did you see orchestral pedal uh, harp? Yeah, they're called orchestral pedal harps, uh, and we can go as low as about 20 strings or so. Some people make them themselves. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's easy to, well, I say easy, but you can make your own harp out of like a little cardboard and yeah. put a couple of strings in it. I'm surprised you've never done that. <laughs> I probably have. Yeah, it's probably point. next uh, midlife yeah. crisis coming on. <laughs> yeah, Making harps. But what's but it's funny, isn't it? Because of course the shape is the same. It's the same shape as like a grand piano, right? It's what you've got inside a piano. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's they they call sometimes the uh, harp. It's mm. uh, the piano. No, piano is a harp in the coffin. Something similar. A harp in a coffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't like that comparison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is like traditionally. It kind of came from bow and arrow, right. and from that kind of shape, and then evolved oh, to. Right, okay. Yeah, so it does go a very long time too. Yeah. Well, it goes back at least to the ancient Greeks, right? Yeah, you can find it uh, in the tombs uh, on the e Egypt as well. So you can go, I don't know, what is it? A few thousand years BC at least. Yeah, yeah. But then who knows? Who knows? Yeah, probably well before that. But the, and they used to be made of uh, of gut, of like animal gut. Did they the strings? The strings they still uh, are. Sorry, vegan people. And <laughs> but you do uh, you can find uh, nylon, mm -hmm. uh, and that's another. Well, some of these are, are metal wound as well. These right? are metal, and so the metal. So that's the first metal string, and from that, that's the guard. So the benefit of the guard, they sound a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm and yeah a bit more resonant whilst the the nylon is a little bit bright in sound right 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 interesting but also it's a folk instrument as well isn't it have you have mm. you ever played I, I should say that we met 
not playing folk music, but playing hip hop music. We have, That's indeed. How we met, right? <laughs> yeah. Through a really what? good uh, hip hop producer. One group. of our cool projects. Really yeah. Nice. Shout out to Last Skeptic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last Skeptic. Um, fantastic hip hop producer who's now in America, but was in London at the time. Uh, yeah, so we met doing that, but Harp, again, you think of it as very floaty and, and yeah. chill. But, or, but it, it was quite dark in that and it, it's used in folk music right and a lot yeah obviously uh ireland yep. a national instrument and yep. welsh as well and uh, um yeah it's been used in many other countries apart from england too uh as you know as a celtic folk instrument yeah. medieval whatever you want and, but also i think like the middle east this am i right they the had their still? own yeah there's so many different variations and peruvian harp as well is very uh, yeah. fun one uh slightly different technique because the strings the tension of them isn't as high so the pe people play more kind of upwards when they um kind of uh hold their hands more in the air and use more kind of glissando's effect that kind of uh i'll try and imitate something Oh, yeah, okay. It kind of sounds more like a guitar. Yeah, I see, I see. Uh, so it's quite cool. But that, uh, so yeah, that's very But you, are you talk about tension. I mean, these they must be under a lot of tension. Uh, they are, yeah. If, if one of these strings, do they have a snap? Do they have a break? They do, a lot. Uh, the metal ones, which you're pointing at now, uh, they don't snap, luckily, as often uh, as the higher ones. So here because they obviously a lot more uh, thin and they under a lot of pressure mm. too a lot of tension and uh, so they do break fairly regularly yeah. unfortunately and strings are not uh, cheap <laughs> and they've gone up in price again thank you inflation <laughs> but um, yeah wow but it must be a bit terrifying if one of the, particularly if one of these metal ones breaks i've i've had that before during the concerts as well and it does give you such because it, it sounds like a gunshot when yeah, it breaks and your heart stops for a second but you, you're not worried about being taken out by like one hitting you in the face or the... well yeah i i do worry about that but <laughs> i've never had that problem i had once just a, a little slap on my wrist um <laughs> from a string uh, but it wasn't as bad as you know you can imagine right 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 can you give us some uh give us some harp techniques harp techniques so, right yeah sure because it's one of the things that i can never quite remember uh, how you say it but what's my favorite one it's um, the favorite is bisbligando bisblig it's uh, the uh, abbreviation in music so it's basically repeating uh, i'll put some fancy uh, double uh, pedals and repeating the same notes Uh, over the same chord. Uh, it's that's something, sorry to interrupt, but that's something we do a lot with electronics, isn't it? If we setting, we, we run that through a lot of it, electronics and it creates these beautiful yeah. sort of soundscape. Exactly, textures. and then it can just yeah, evolve. It's uh, basically more evolved from a normal trill. And then you can do it because we only use four fingers on the harp. We don't play with the pinky. And so I only have eight no, it's I can do it at the same time. Whatever you can come up with. And if you, I should say, if people are listening on headphones, because we're using the binaural mics, if people are listening on headphones, uh, you, you might hear that it's louder on your right side, right? Because it's. Over. I'm closer, yeah. Because 
Because you're, you're holding it over your right shoulder. Exactly, yes. I wonder. I'm quite interested to hear how it's going to come out. Well, hopefully yeah. it, it should sound like yeah. it does me <laughs> when we listen back to it um yeah other effects we've got we've got um when we play predella table near the soundboard of the harp that creates kind of a guitar effect mm. and then you can pretend to be a guitar it does sound like a, a lot like a flamenco guitar or something that, down it, that. it does indeed um then uh we've got well pedal glisses are kind of covered then we've got the the uh, harmonics on the harp which are very different from harmonics of other instruments because you just hold the string whilst plucking it and it kind of creates a very different so that's a harmonic and that's a normal I note. love that that harmonic sound is beautiful isn't it it takes your uh, note you play an octave higher yeah. so but it's got a very it's got a, a kind of pure sound in a way hasn't it it's a, mm -hmm. it's a simpler waveform it's a simpler yeah, if you want to go more angelic, that's the harmonics for you. Wow. All right, well, we should play something, and then because we, we, we've got to go, we've got to finish our day's work. Oh, yeah, we but can chat for hours. I know, we really can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can. This is what we have a habit of doing, getting together. And then not doing much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then chatting for ages. Uh, yeah, so the project's called Soundbox Ensemble, and uh, that is because... <laughs> We both use soundboxes. I mean, I'm using trumpets and horns and brass instruments, but I'm also using all sorts of weird wonderful electronic devices and small little boxes and toys and all sorts of manner of percussion and stuff like that. But more importantly, you have a soundbox on your instrument as well, right? I do. It's, uh, well, it's a kind of a soundboard, soundbox, um, which then you can also use a percussion instrument mm -hmm. by by tapping on it. Some composers uh, use that extensively in their writing too. So yeah, there's a, this kind of tapping, this kind of tapping, so yeah. it's really big and resonant, isn't it? When you exactly, it? yeah. And we've been, we've been doing a bit of like hitting it with, gently, with, with drumsticks mallets, or with yeah. mallets. Or, <clears> uh, so yeah, thank you. So that's that, and you can also hit the strings. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's oh, beautiful. Sweet. So that's why it's called sandboxes. We both have sandboxes of our own and doing our own things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So should we do the tune that we were just looking at? This is a brand we've literally just opened this now and, and spent two minutes on it before we started recording. Um, but this is a really nice tune that as uh, a Rufus Wainwright tune. We mainly do original stuff, but we um, we, we decided to do a couple of um, other people's numbers because occasionally we get asked to do that sort of thing. And we've got a gig coming. I suppose our next gig we should talk about. Um, we're doing something with uh, Robin Ince, mm -hmm. um, which is what we, we've also done quite a bit of that stuff with him. Um, we're up in Manchester at Contact Theatre on the 1st and 2nd of December. And we're the house band, Soundbox. Yes, very exciting. Playing some Christmas stuff, playing some of our own stuff, playing some other people's stuff. So that'll be fun. Uh, and then you're going to join me at... Wilton's musical. Yes, I will. Yeah, Soundbox uh, at Wilton's. It's going to be really lovely, I think. It's such a nice room for this stuff. Uh, all right, so should we do this tune? This is a tune by Rufus Wainwright. Uh, it's the title track of the album, Poses. Let's, let's have a little 
noodle on this. Okay. enjoyed my chat with the brilliant Valeria Clark. I'm reluctant to fade this out because I really enjoyed playing this with her but there is lots more where that came from. If you liked what you heard there um, then you can listen to some of our original music. Uh, it's mainly on my YouTube channel at the moment. We're just in the process of setting up our own YouTube channel and all that business for Soundbox ensemble but we have uh, some bits coming up as we said there we are playing at Wilton's Music Hall in my show on the 20th of January and also if you're up in Manchester we are doing a couple of shows with Robin Ince we are the house band for Robin Ince's uh, Nine Lessons and Carol show at Contact Theatre so if you're in the UK and either of those places try and get down and say hello um, and we have a lot more stuff coming up next year we've got some festivals already in the book and we've got various things we're working on an EP of original music and lots of other things so please do check that out and look up Valeria Clark if you like Uh, right, on with the show. We're going to press on. Uh, it's time for music theory. Here we go. Music theory. So this week, we are jumping in at the deep end of music theory and looking at jazz, perhaps the most feared music of all. Because in the last week or so, I had a straight ahead jazz gig, which is actually quite rare for me these days. Um, I mainly do other stuff crossing over into other genres, as we discussed previously. Uh, but I put together an evening about the history of jazz trumpet. Um, at the fantastic Old Courts venue in Windsor with a great uh, local band, the Jazz Vanguard, and I was their special guest, and we did a really fun evening about the history of jazz trumpet right the way through from the 1920s to the modern day. And I thought that would be a good jumping-off point to look at basically what is jazz and how to listen to jazz. appreciate that it's not a music that everyone likes or necessarily understands. A lot of people just think you're making it up as you go along. And there's a degree of truth to that, of course. Um, jazz has improvisation at its very heart but for some reason people associate improvisation in music with being difficult and complicated and uh, something requiring a great deal of technical knowledge but my point with that is that we are making stuff up as we're going along all the time I'm making this up while I'm talking to you now I know roughly what I'm going to be talking about I know the topic area but I don't know the exact words that are going to come out of my mouth when we're having a conversation we're making stuff up all the time we're improvising with language all the time based around a framework of grammar and vocabulary and you know the context of who we're talking to and so uh, it, without being cliched about it when we're improvising as jazz musicians or as improvising musicians of any sort we're really thinking in those terms we're using a framework 
uh, to build our improvisations around. And so what I thought I would do is just play a few little clips for you uh, from a, my performance the other night um, so that you can hear some of what's going on. So as the basis of this discussion, we're going to take the tune St. James Infirmary. Now, this is a very old tune, old jazz tune dating back to, I think, the certainly 1920s, probably before. Um, it's associated with New Orleans, uh, as I've mentioned, the kind of the birthplace of jazz in a lot of ways. And I want to use this tune because the melody itself is relatively simple and hopefully it might allow you to hear the way that the melody then kind of fluidly moves into an improvisation around the melody. So this is the basic melody. If I just play it on the trumpet, you can hear it. So this is the way the melody is written out on some sheet music I have of this tune. So I'm just playing it exactly as the sheet music says, uh, as much as it's possible to do that. As I alluded to last week, sheet music has only very limited instructions for how to play something, but I'm just playing what's written there. It's a very simple melody, it's only got six notes over the whole melody, six different notes. So um, yeah, that's how it's written out. This is the basis for what we're going to look at. But what you'll hear as we start moving to the recorded version that I played the other night with the band is that I'm embellishing the melody. So I'm playing this melody, but I'm kind of adding little bits, taking little bits away, changing the timing, just making it my own, all right? So already I'm slightly improvising around the framework of this tune. And then as the tune progresses and we go into more of a, an improvisatory, soloistic uh, approach, uh, you'll hear me maybe deviate more from the tune, but still keep that sense that it is there, it's underlying everything. And part of that underlying structure is the harmony, which in this case you can hear uh, the guitar is underpinning this and then later on the, uh, the double bass joins in and of course the drums to, uh, to give some sort of rhythmic decoration around it. But really that structure runs all the way through this. So when you're listening to it, I mean this is a fairly simple example, but really a lot of stuff that you'll hear if you're listening to jazz is variations on this, a melody that then people embellish and take off in their own direction. And there are all sorts of fancy tricks you can do to do with melodies, to do with harmony, rhythms, fancy, flashy techniques you can do on whatever instrument you're playing on. But really, it's the same idea. It's the spontaneous creation of a melody around the framework. And of course, as jazz and other forms of improvised music evolve, there are all sorts of ways that that structure can be broken down and messed with and subverted, of course. So those things do evolve and change um, over the years and over different styles of jazz, of course. But really what you're listening to, mainly if you're listening to jazz, is someone who's been playing a melody, found their own way through that melody, and then is creating their own melodies based on that melody. Or by the underlying harmony, which it can be played by the bass, the guitar, the piano, or in fact any instrument that's outlining chords like that. Now I'm aware that maybe not everyone is aware of what chords are or what harmony is. Don't worry about that terminology. We will get to that in future episodes. The main takeaway from today is just to remember that, that when you're listening to music that has an improvisatory element like jazz, to try and think about it 
as a conversation. The musicians have learned a vocabulary on their instrument and it's important to remember that although jazz is a form of music that prioritises improvisation, which is relatively rare, relatively uncommon these days for most Western listeners, the idea of music being fixed uh, and written down or recorded in a definitive version, that is the outlier in terms of musical history or music making across the globe. The vast majority of music that's been made over the centuries, over the millennia and across the world has been made with a more improvisatory spirit involved. Just as many art forms have been improvised over the centuries and millennia, whether it's epic poetry or theatre, any of these great art forms would have had a very strong improvisatory element to them. And that is very much true of music. It's a conversation like any other. And for me, that is what is so great and so exciting about jazz and other improvised musics. It's musicians having a conversation with one another. Sometimes that conversation can get feisty. Sometimes it can be full of dialogue, very mellow. Everyone can be getting on really nicely. Just like a good conversation will involve listening, improvisation involves a great deal of listening. And for me, that's one of the most exciting things about music. This ability that it has to be spontaneous and to exist only in the moment and to have this point of connection between musicians uh, and between musicians and their audience to understand each other in this non-linguistic way just for a moment just for a fleeting moment in this little musical conversation so I think that's one of the great joys of jazz. It's not all scribble, I promise. I mean, some of it arguably is. And certainly we as jazz musicians should often be trying to work harder, in my opinion, to bring people with us rather than to push people away. I think that's a discussion for another time. But yeah, it's a conversation. And when it works well, it's a nice conversation, an interesting conversation, and a conversation that can help bring us closer to a little more human understanding of one another which I think we can all agree we could do with quite a lot more of at the moment there we go there's my pitch for jazz all right onwards So, for the genre tombola this week, I am exploring pop rock. You may remember that that's what the random list picker from the 1300 genres on Wikipedia picked for me. But by genuine coincidence, now this will seem like I've rigged it, but anyone who knows me knows that, if anything, I overcommit to stupid ideas. Welcome to the podcast, by the way. So, yeah, I did not rig it. This was a genuine thing. It happened. It came up with pop rock. And by coincidence, I had been commissioned to write some music for my friend, the brilliant comedian Alexander Bennett for his show. And he wanted me to do a tune in the style of Robbie Williams, a kind of power ballad, pop rock power ballad. So I was already working on that when the pop rock thing came along. And then here we are. So I have worked on a uh, pop rock tune for Alexander. And I had a little chat with him about pop rock. But before we do that, I thought I would play you the track. So here we go. Here's my pop rock Robbie Williams-esque track. Now, I should say that it's still a work in progress. I'm still working on it for Alexander. And his vocals are kind of placeholders. He just recorded some sample vocals on his phone. And I've pulled them around and messed around with them. And uh, so that if it sounds weird, that's why. It's nothing to do with Alexander's brilliant singing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy. Don't judge, but enjoy. Pass me a couple more milligrams My name, Miss Robbie Williams 
I can't bear to go out on stage But I'm in vogue, I'm all the rage They look up at me and I wonder why What do they see in this fucked up guy? I will try to hold my hatred in stealth I will cry despite my fame and my wealth You say you're a fan I can't stand the myself but There's something I think is quite interesting about Pop Warnick when you think about kind of authenticity uh, or perceived authenticity uh, in rock and commercialism in pop and when those two when those two things meet and you know Robbie Williams for me is the 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 epitome of that and I, I don't mean that in a negative sense I mean I mean you know marrying those two things as some some sort of in some way authentic rock star style image with massive commercial appeal and uh, and a pop sensibility and and also like the instrumentation of it is you it's not it's not Led Zeppelin is it <laughs> you know, yeah but this but you've got guitar you've got electric guitars in there you've got um, you know you've got a lot of the tropes of, of rock music but with more of a, a pop sensibility yeah and I think it's interesting to talk about authenticity in relation to that because I mean you, you'd probably be able to speak better on behalf of the musicians but in terms of sort of rock fans who's really enjoying that genre I think um, you could you could sort of possibly say that authenticity in that genre means more to its audience than it possibly does the audience for other genres they might not necessarily you, you know mind that uh, the whatever performer they're watching is not the originator of the music that they're performing it's it's not sort of um, part of the culture of that particular genre so to do pop rock you risk kind of really rubbing people up the wrong way because it's almost a kind of attack on that authenticity or it could be perceived as an attack on that I, I authenticity. I think that's right but also I think I think that is a kind of a- arrogant position on the part of rock fans or rock mm. music sometimes because I think the idea that that rock is authentic and, and pop isn't I mean in a, in the world of major labels authenticity is completely in the eye of the beholder and in frankly in the eye of the marketing team you know there's nothing particularly to say that a, a rock band is any more authentic as a musical experience than 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 a pop artist both of them well particularly these days I mean I appreciate in in the 50s and things it was a bit different there was maybe it was a bit more Two, two different streams but I, in 2023 or when Robbie was doing this in the late 90s early 2000s by that point things I would argue are so there's so much crossover that yeah, yeah. And, and and authenticity is an inherently pro- problematic term as well it's not to say you should just be able to appropriate whatever you want as a musician of course but but like the, the idea that anyone kind of owns authenticity in rock music is is really it's really problematic in the first place, especially white guitar bands. Yeah, <laughs> the idea. Yes. That yeah, yeah. Rock is obviously, is obviously. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very complicated idea, and yeah. and and then also, you know, the idea that um, to blend the genre of pop with that is it's somehow inauthentic because pop is somehow inauthentic. Is the the, the, the there are you know the argument for how authentic quote unquote any particular band or performer is is 
you know, a case-by-case basis, uh, something that could be debated. But there's definitely acts who are, like, not just would be perceived as pop musicians, but are very proud of the fact that, yes, I am a pop musician, who you wouldn't uh, argue the authenticity of, or you would be hard-pressed to. Are you a genuine Robbie Williams fan, or is it a sort of ironic stance that you take? So it was, um, uh, Robbie was played a lot in the house when I was growing up. Uh, so, you know, my mother was a big fan of, <laughs> of Robbie. Of course, of course she was. Because, <laughs> you know, he was, a, he was a sort of cheeky chappy. It's sort of, I, th- I say in the show, the, the sort of, um, the thing that I think Robbie sells himself on is it was just complete self-love. It's like, I am brilliant. I uh, hadn't listened to many of them for years and years and years, and then I was writing the show and knew that there was this story about going to see Robbie live that I wanted to include. Um, but uh, I, I, what we're saying about that sort of distance of time is that you can stand outside of that uh, something being big in a moment where it might be hard to actually stand apart from a piece of music and decide what it is that you think of it. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of Robbie songs, particularly the song song come undone which i was using in the show that is just a brilliant piece of sort of pop music because it's so celebratory and it's about self-hatred yeah 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 and i I really love it for that and love you know the idea of someone like robbie williams who's like my brand is how great i am uh and you know i'm i'm very much a kind of feel-good artist in terms of what my audience expects of me. Writing something that triumphant with lyrics that miserable is something the Smiths would do, or, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the medium and the message being at odds is quite a, is quite an interesting sort of artistic statement for someone like Robbie Williams to, mm. to do, you know, because you would think one of, the, one of those iconic anthemic power ballad type, type tunes, yeah, you would think it would be about our greatest, but the fact that that song is about self-loathing is is but is a it's really interesting thing for someone that famous to do at that point and also you know because i had to do i had to do some robbie research for, for this show um, both, that's what i spent this last week doing yeah 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 his his autobiography he he really struggled with self-loathing for that whole whole time in his career these are the reasons why robbie is in my show because my show is about self-loathing uh it's really funny by the way um uh, <laughs> You know, that sort of conversation about authenticity. It's like, well, at the peak is his fame when they're making hundreds of millions of dollars off this feel-good artist. He's managing to get through a song that is about self-loathing. Is that not Robbie exercising his own authenticity there? Yeah, exactly. It's a really, really good point. It's a really, really good point of so whether or not he wrote it. And presumably, did Guy Chambers write write the, that song with him? I don't know. Or was that? A uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's definitely a collaborative. Yeah, but I mean, as most of it was, I think. But who, whether he personally sat down and wrote it himself or not, there's, I think there's a very strong case for saying that that is a more authentic piece of songwriting if such a thing can exist than a rock band going and and trying to you know discover the new riff which they think is going to be it's going to catch on and and be played in all the indie clubs and all the indie stations and stuff i mean neither of those is more cynical or less cynical than the other really robbie we've done robbie 
Robbie Tick. <laughs> um, tell us what you got. What What do you want to plug? You got anything to? Um, so I am filming uh, the show Hidwitch Robbie Features. Uh, Alexander Bennett, I can't stand the man myself, is being filmed at the 9th of November at the Pleasance Theatre in Islington. So I would love for people to come to that. Uh, the podcast that we mentioned, born yesterday, uh, which Steve did the brilliant intro music for, is um, uh, available wherever you get your podcasts. And it's sort of a, a, a weird improv game where me and a comedian called Andy Barr pretend to not know anything and other people have to explain other things to us. So good. <laughs> yeah, we're clones of ourselves. We've been alive for a day. And in a day, we've learned about three things. And then Phil Wang has to come on and explain other things to us. But we only know about, like, Toy Story, a cheesecake, and, you know, who Gordon Brown is. And he has to explain <laughs> it. And he has to explain how the Second World War started using those as reference points. <laughs> oh, it's such a great concept. I love it. So tune into those things. And, uh, yeah, thanks very much, man. Appreciate that. And thank you for uh, the Robbie Williams um, commission that happened to coincide so nicely with this. Yeah, it's like I didn't get shrunken hip-hop. Um, but maybe the next that'll be the next... The next show for you will be a Sri Lankan hip-hop piece. I think it's time I start really experimenting with who I am on stage. I mean, and if... <laughs> talking about authenticity, I mean, maybe your true, truly authentic voice as a comedian is as a uh, parody Sri Lankan hip-hop artist, I don't know. So you say parody, I say authenticity all the <laughs> way through. Right. Thanks a lot, man. That was great. Yes, Steve. So there we go, Alexander Bennett, fantastic comedian and lovely man. So thank you very much for A, his commission, and B, him appearing on the show. I thought that was a really interesting chat. I hope you enjoyed it. Right, the time has come. It is time to look at what my genre for next episode will be. Here we go. Okay, so I've put the list of genres from Wikipedia in, all 1,300 of them. Right, here we go. Let's spin the virtual wheel. We got what do we got? What do we got? It's spinning, it's spinning. What do we got? Wow, <laughs> okay, it's a bit of a change. Umbakanga, Umbakanga. So that is spelled M B A Q A N G A. M B A Q A N G A. No idea what that is yet, but I'm very excited to find out. So tune in next time, two weeks' time, to find out what Umbakanga is. Um, so yeah. There you go. I told you it was random. I don't have any Mbakanga commissions as far as I know in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> all right. Wish me luck. Thank you very much for listening today. Do all the usual things. You know what to do. Go on, rate, review, share. That's the most important thing at this stage in this early stage of the show's life. Please do share with your friends if you like it. Please do share with your colleagues. Spread the word. It really, really genuinely helps. In person is the best way, but of course... Uh, electronically is really really helpful as well so thank you very much if you've done that already and please keep doing that rate review subscribe etc right i'm going to sign off i am going to be back in two weeks that's thursday the 2nd of november to talk about makanga and all sorts of other interesting stuff no doubt so thank you very much for listening and don't forget to pick up your tickets to my show and live podcast recording at the amazing wilton's music hall in london that's on the 20th of January um, that's going to be an incredible show I'm really really looking forward to that we've got Valeria who you heard from earlier she's going to be there lots of other fantastic people Hackney Colliery Band people many different guests it's going to be a lot of fun so pick up your tickets for that 
Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who appeared on this week's show. Valeria, Alexander Bennett, the Jazz Vanguard. Thank you to the old courts in Windsor. The theme music is by Angelique Kidjo, Hackney Colliery Band and me, frankly. So do check out Hackney Colliery Band and Angelique Kidjo as always. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.